Take your Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter 16, if you will. This morning, as you're finding your place there, we're going to talk about God and money. Before we get into that, I want to just kind of ask a question about church. You know, we're at church this morning. You are here. If you didn't know it, you're, you've gathered with the people at Red Lane Baptist that meets at 2095 Red Lane Road in Powhatan, Virginia. The church is not a building. It's not a location. It's a people, but the people meet typically at a certain location. Red Lane will be at our northern campus this afternoon at 5 o'clock at uh, Historic Whitewood. That, uh, so everywhere, anywhere we go, we are just moving and we become a campus there because that's what the church is. But when you gather with the church, typically on a Sunday morning, what is it you should bring with you? Think about that question. What is it that we should bring with us when we gather with the church for worship and for instruction? Now, most Sundays, many of you will come to this location together with the church, and you'll bring certain items that we're appreciative of. You will bring a breakfast casserole. Some of you will bring donuts. I wish some of you would drive a little further east into Midlothian or Richmond and go to Krispy Kreme, but you'll go to Dunkin' or some other place, and those are good enough, but you bring donuts. Some of you will bring sausage biscuits. Uh, Some of you will bring a a shawl or a light blanket. If you're a parent or grandparent, you may bring some activity pages, a coloring book of some sort for your little kids so that those who are not going to kids' church can have a little bit of activity while the boring preacher is preaching for longer than he should. But those are some of the things you bring, and, and we're appreciative of those. We're glad that you bring breakfast because who doesn't like second breakfast i got out a small group earlier and i'm thinking i could have used something but no one had extra donuts laying out in the coffee area for me to partake of today Um, so i had to not have second breakfast this morning so we're glad that you do those things but here's something we need to understand those though those things are important they probably are not the most important things and so what is it that we should bring with us as we gather together with the church for worship and instruction. I hope that your mind is immediately going to the fact that when you come to Red Lane to worship, you need a Bible, right? You, you ought to bring the Bible with you because as we gather together, what we're here to do is to set under the teaching of the Word of God because we want to hear God's voice more than any other voice today. And we have great singing, we have great talent on the stage, lead us in wonderful songs and is Beautiful as that is, that's not the primary voice we want to hear. We want to hear God's voice, and God's voice speaks to us through his word, which is the Bible, and so you need a Bible. That's paramount as we gather together on a weekly basis. Amen? I didn't hear a lot about, I didn't see a lot of head nodding and affirmation there, so I wanted some sort of feedback that you actually believe that, though I know you do believe that. Another thing that you need to have with you is you gather for worship weekly is money. Now, you may be surprised by that, but you're going to see it in the text this morning. And so uh, money is something that we need to have when we come to worship. So before you check out, because I just made a statement that you've already written me off as some sort of uh, a kook up here, but I want to remind you of what King David said to Arona in 2 Samuel 24. He says, I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me Nothing. You see, David understood that what we all too often fail and refuse to understand, that is, when we worship the Lord, the act of worship is the act of ascribing worth back to God. One of the ways we do that is bringing something of value to the Lord. So I just want to kind of whet your appetite with that word picture. 
Unfortunately, too many people miss out on worship opportunities because they fail to plan for worship. They fail to plan. And so this morning, perhaps you came here and maybe you have a Bible, but you didn't come with some sort of tangible offering that you could could give to the Lord. Why is that? I don't mean to be ugly this morning, but it's because you didn't plan for it. You didn't plan to worship the Lord in that way. And so people who do so show up on Sundays with nothing to bring to the Lord, largely because they just simply didn't plan for it. What do you mean by that? Well, it could mean that you didn't budget for it. I came across a saying uh, earlier this week, and it goes like this. It's difficult to save money when your neighbors keep buying things you cannot afford. You ever <laughs> kind of found that to be a way of life? For you, absolutely. I put a twist on this statement this morning. I was reading back and over the sermon. Think of it this way. It's difficult to give to the Lord when your neighbors keep buying things you can't afford. We're always trying to keep up with the latest and greatest. So without a plan and worshipful intentionality, our money will go to everything else in this world except for the Lord. You see, there's no financial margin in most of our budgets. There's no financial margin built in or a plan built in for us to give in worship to the Lord. That lack of a gift shows that we really have no value that we're placing upon the Lord. So right now, you're, you, you've either written me off, you've checked out, or, or perhaps you're saying in your mind, man, Pastor, this is pretty heavy stuff. You've already been heavy the last few weeks in some of the other areas of my life, and, and now you're lumping on this whole finance thing. Man, I, I wish I would have looked at the bulletin earlier because I would have taken a, a, an earlier route to getting ready for this evening's Thanksgiving meal. I would have went ahead and start preparing the pie and checked out. Stay with me this morning. You see, my intentions today are not to do anything other than to take the next set of verses that we are working through in the Gospel of Luke and to lay it before you. That's the beauty of expositional preaching. That's the beauty of preaching through books of the Bible and taking it verse by verse because I come to you this morning not with a a, 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 a plan or a reason, uh, an agenda, if you will. I have none of that. All I want to do is simply take the Word of God, the next set of verses that God in His sovereignty has laid out before us through the writer called Luke and to give you what it says. I'm not coming here to try to get our members to give more, regular tenders to give more. I'm not manipulating. I'm not laying on guilt. None of those things. It is simply to highlight and to bring application to what is before us as we walk through the gospel of Luke. And in them, in these verses that we're going to read, Jesus makes a strong connection between God and money. Now, while we may not want to hear this message... I've told you before, in fact, I told you back in in August when we actually had a a doctrinal message geared toward um, stewardship, when we were walking through what we called in the church. I told you in August, and I've probably said it before, that our, our pocketbooks have more to do with our walk with Jesus and our understanding of the gospel and our desire to live for him than our hymn books, right? You see, it's easy for us to sing worship songs. It's easy for us to raise our hands and sing the songs and great songs that we sang this morning. It's easy to do that and to say amen and to affirm those truths and and to really believe those truths. But it's easy to do those things in this room right here because we're all doing it. It's a whole lot easier to say, Lord Jesus, you are the Lord of my pocketbook. 
You're the Lord of my budget. You're the Lord of my finances. You're the Lord of the possessions that you've entrusted to me. My car is not mine. My property is not mine. My children are not mine. My calendar is not mine. My talents are not mine. Those are all yours. And I am bringing them under the sovereignty and the authority of Almighty God. That's where the rubber really meets the road. And so we're going to see this connection between God, Him being Lord of our life, and also Lord specifically over our finances. And so like it or not, a declaration of allegiance is made with every monetary decision you make. Who will... And who are you following? So this is what I want you to see from Jesus' words in our passage this morning. So take your Bible there, and let's begin reading in Luke chapter 16, verse 1. Everybody was still with me? Everybody's happy still? Just hold on. Luke says, he, that is Jesus, also said to the disciples... There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called in him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do. So that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So... Summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, Hey, how much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Verse 10. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And here's where the title of the sermon comes from. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and money. You know, we read and we teach from the Bible because from the Bible is how we get to know who God is. It's from the scripture, the pages of the Bible, where we get to learn who God is, what he's like, what he expects, what he wants to do in our lives. You see, the goal as we read and the goal as we teach is not so that we can pass and win the Bible quiz. It's not so that you know a bunch of facts, though I believe knowing facts about scripture and understanding the nuances of the text is important. That is not the goal When you open your Bible in the morning for devotion or you come and sit in small group or you sit in this room and listen to the teaching, it's to know God better. And one of the ways the Word of God goes about helping us to know God better is using word pictures, right? We we see word pictures specifically and especially in the Gospels. So, for example, in John chapter 6, Jesus is portrayed as the bread of life. 
We go to John chapter 10, and Jesus is portrayed as the good shepherd. John chapter 15, and Jesus there is portrayed as the true vine. And so these images teach us, show us something of what the Lord is like and how we then are to relate back to him. And so John 6, John 10, John 15, they all teach us that the Lord is the one who feeds and nourishes. They teach us that it's the Lord who cares and protects, that it's the Lord who supports and gives life to his people. So do you see how word pictures are important and how word pictures help us to see who God is and then how to relate to him? Another word picture that is not as popular, not as well known, but one that Luke uses often, and that is the master of the house. That's the word picture we see here in these verses that we've just read. The master of the house. Luke uses this multiple times. Through this image, Jesus is presented as the owner of the house and everything that is in it. So the image teaches us about the Lord's ownership, but it also teaches us about stewardship. And that's what Luke 16 is all about. It's about stewardship. This theme is going to run throughout this chapter. And so Jesus is the Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, are the owner of the house and the managers, you and I. That's you and I. So I want us to see ourselves in the parable. I want to see ourselves in the story. This morning, I want us to learn that faithfully stewarding our money is closely connected to our worship of God. Because again, there is a declaration of allegiance every time we make a monetary decision. So let me give you four things that I want you to see from this parable. Then we're going to come back and really quickly, I want to give you three lessons to be learned. Here's what I want you to see first of all. I want you to see the stewardship of worldly wealth. The stewardship of worldly wealth. Let's just kind of walk through the parable and make sure that we understand what's going on here. So here we have a rich man who owns an estate, and this rich man has heard a credible accusation against his foreman, his manager, the one who is managing the estate. And so as such, he's decided that a change is needed. So he heard the accusation. He investigated the accusation. He found it to be credible. Now he understands a change has to be made. The guy's got to get fired, right? He's not credible. He's not trustworthy. He should not be managing my affairs. He's wasting those things. So this man is fired, and he's instructed to turn in the account of his management. Now, that's a phrase that we wouldn't really use today, but this is what it looks like. Those of you who've had a job, you understand this. By telling him to give an account of his management, basically he's saying this, I need your laptop, I need your credentials, and I need your corporate card, right? I need your credit card, I need your key pass to get in the building, I need your laptop, here's your pink slip, I hope you have a great life, you're out of here. That's what's happening. The man is being fired. And so this man, because he failed to properly steward the rich man's estate, because he's wasted the man's possessions, because he saw himself really as the owner rather than the steward, he has now been dismissed. Perhaps if he acted more like the owner and actually cared about investing and making a profit, things would have turned out better for this manager. But instead, he showed no concern for the man's property and Possessions, And so after learning that he's going to be fired, the man decides he needs, to do, he needs to do something to make his life easier because 
No longer will he have an income. No longer does he have the job. He's lost a reputation within the community. He needs to make sure that life will still be easy for him. He's not a person who can dig ditches. He's not a person who's humble enough to beg on the street. So what does he do? Jesus in this parable describes this man as going to the creditors of the master and says shrewdly, what do you owe? Oh, you need you, you owe 100, write 50. Pay it now and we're good. What do you owe? 100. Okay, let's go 80. Let's settle there. Pay it now and we're good. What is he doing? He's putting those people in his debt so that when he's fired later on, he can go and use the leverage of, I did you a favor, now you do me a favor. So this is what the man's doing. So he is shrewdly setting himself up for the future. Now, in all of this, we see the stewardship of our wealth. Jesus here makes the point that faithful stewards use worldly wealth to make friends in eternity. We're going to talk a little bit about the, uh, the, the shrewdness of this man, but look what he says in verse 9. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Jesus here uses the mishandling of the owner's estate to make the point that worldly wealth will fail. Did you notice that in verse 9? When this fails, they will welcome you into the eternal dwellings. Here's what you need to understand this morning. The things that we put our trust in in this world, money, stock, property, prestige, career advancement, status within the community, all of those things that we have a tendency in our humanity to major on will always fail us. And if they don't fail us in this life, they don't make it to the next life. Amen? Are you tracking with me? You can't take anything to heaven physically in this earth. Like the old preacher adage or the, the preacher talk you've probably heard before is you never have seen a U-Haul trailer behind a hearse, right? I've done a lot of funerals in my life. I've never seen anything that's been passed on to the other side. So we need to make sure that what we're investing in is eternal. Think about what money and its inability to transfer into the next life. We need to understand that money really makes a terrible guy. When we're living for that, we are living to be disappointed. After all, life for everyone comes to an end and everything will stay here. It will not be passed on. So while we have the opportunity, what should we do? We should invest our money, invest our resources, invest the things that God has entrusted to us through wealth and possessions in making friends for the Lord. That's the point Jesus is making in verse 9. Look what he says. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. I want you to know here that Jesus is not, and I'm getting ahead of myself, he's not commending the dishonest manager for his shrewdness of how he's going to take care of himself in the temporal side of life. He takes this man's shrewdness and he moves it into a teaching for you and I as the people of God and to say, if you're going to use the wealth of this world, use it for this. Use it for spiritual investment. Use it for kingdom investment. Use it so that there are friends in heaven when you get there. Stewardship of worldly wealth. So rather than living as if this 
world is our permanent home and judgment is never coming, we as Christians should steward God's resources for his glory and for the good of others. What this means is that as a Christ follower, we should leverage the money and the possessions that the Lord has entrusted to us for those kingdom purposes, using them to win lost sinners to Jesus and to make disciples. This manager was guilty of wasting the owner's property. This morning, the question that we need to ask ourselves is, how are we managing what God has entrusted to us? How is my stewardship of the worldly wealth that God has laid in my hands Am I wasting or am I investing? That leads us to a second thing I want you to see. And that is, I want you to see the certainty of fiscal accountability. The certainty of fiscal accountability. The owner immediately acted on the information he had received about his manager. That's what we see in verse 1. He took the man's responsibilities as the manager seriously. You see, the most important thing about a manager, the most important thing about a steward is faithfulness. It's faithfulness. Is this person faithfully managing, stewarding the resources I've entrusted to them? This manager forgot that he was the steward. He began to act as if he were the owner. And so we could say he became a prodigal steward who wasted rather than invested the master's wealth. So when the owner learns of the man's actions, he calls for an inventory of his goods. He calls for the audit of his books. And when he found him to be a thief, as I said earlier, the only sensible reaction is to fire him, dismiss him. You're no longer needed. This parable here teaches us the certainty of fiscal accountability. But why does Jesus seem to care so much about money? Have you ever asked that question? Back in August, and I've said it before, I told you, that the word of God, the gospel specifically, speaks so much about money. Why? Why, why does Jesus care so much about money? It's because money says a lot about us. M money says a lot about us. It says a lot about our heart. You see, Jesus spoke about it because it says so much about how we view life. It's the window into our heart. The story of our lives is told by how we live and what we do with what God has entrusted to us on this earth during the short time that we live. And so stewardship then is something that we must correctly understand. It's something we must master in life. In many ways, our stewardship over money and possessions becomes the story of our lives. What do we do with what we've been given while we are on this earth? This manager was unfaithful in the way he used the owner's wealth, and he was held accountable. And so how physically responsible is your stewardship? If God was to demand an audit of the books of your life today, what story would it say? What description would it give of your life and of your testimony? You see, this question touches on the tithe. Yes, Specifically, it touches there. We always think about it in that context. But let me, let me make sure that you understand this morning. It also touches the other 90%. We talk about the tithe. We teach the tithe here. You've heard me say, uh, our elders affirm it. We believe that as Christians in the local church, tithing is baseline giving. It's baseline generosity. And we want to move up from there. And so many times what we, maybe not... Uh, so directly begin to, to live and believe, but maybe indirectly behind the scenes, we begin to, to, to build our framework and our worldview is God's money is the 10% and he lets the 90% be mine. Is that a true statement? 
No. He's the master of the house, right? He gives us money to invest, money to use, money and wealth and possessions to, to, to leverage for him, but he never relinquishes control of those things. It's always him, the full 100%. And so we need to remember that we are stewards, we're not owners, and that God owns it all. What does he own? He owns your time. How did you steward your time this past week? Well, pastor, I worked 65 hours. I put it in, man. Great. That's awesome. We need to work hard. We need to be diligent in our work. How much of that 65 hours in the workplace did you use for kingdom purposes? What did you do with your leisure time? What did you do with your off time? What did you do with your downtime? How did you leverage that for kingdom purposes? What else does God own? He owns your talent. Are you using your talent for the glory of God? I'm a great accountant. Great. Are you using that for kingdom purposes where you work? How do I do that? Live a life that looks like Jesus. You're willing to open your mouth and voice the reason, the hope that you have, right? You talk about Jesus when you have opportunities. So are we leveraging those things? Pastor, I'm not a pastor. That's not my talent. I don't have the abilities and the skills that you have. That's not my wheelhouse. Great, because we don't need... 30,000 pastors in, in Powhatan, but we do need 30,000 Christians who will live the gospel right where they live, right where they work, and right where they play. Using those talents for his glory. What else does God own? He owns your treasure. He owns your possessions. He owns your land. He owns your vehicles. He owns your sport recreation vehicles, right? He owns all of those things. Do we use those for kingdom purposes? How do I use that for kingdom purposes? I'm just going to throw something out there. I don't know if anybody has this. I'm just throwing a, a scenario. If you own a pontoon and you have a lake house and, and, and you, uh, you like to spend time at the lake, how can you use that for kingdom purposes? Be creative there. Bring people out from the office. Bring people who live in your neighborhood. Bring church members out and spend time investing relationally in people, using those tools that God has given you for kingdom purposes purposes. You guys know I love to hunt and fish. I probably hunt too much by myself. It's kind of the nature of hunting, but I really like hunting with people. But I, now God has blessed me with the ability to take people fishing, and I want to use that tool for those purposes, right? I want to use those things. I want to leverage those possessions for kingdom purposes. There's an accounting third thing I want you to see here is the commendation of a shrewd manager. I danced around this earlier, but we see this commendation in verse 8. So what's going on? Go back to the text with me. We see that the manager knew that he was being fired, and it's interesting. He never argues the case. He never comes and says, no, that, that's not right. That's not right. I did that. I, I, I didn't, I'm not guilty of what I'm being accused of. No, he never argues otherwise. So rather than trying to change the past, what this man does is he devises a plan to better his future. He, knew, he knows manual labor is not his forte. He's too proud to beg on the street. So he decides to make friends with the master's creditors. He shrewdly or cleverly gave them a discount if they would pay immediately. So as I said earlier, the creditors become indebted to him. And so naturally, therefore, when this manager needed help in the future, who is he going to call? He calls on the people that he gave a favor to. So as we read this, and I'll be honest, I've read this text, golly, hundreds of times over the years probably. And I've always struggled with the commendation in verse 8. And it's always kind of been 
almost contradictory when you read it. Maybe you felt like this when you read it just a moment ago. It's not contradictory. As we get to the commendation in verse 8, Jesus is not commending him for his dishonesty, because what he did is dishonest. He commends him for his shrewdness, his uh, cleverness, right? He, he takes a situation and he exploits it's probably not the right word because we take it in a negative connotation, but he exploits it for his own good. What we want to do as good servants of the Lord is to not exploit but leverage opportunities for God's kingdom purposes in life, right? So he commends him. So he commends him for using this opportunity in a very wise way. He says the sons of this world basically are experts at seizing opportunities to make money, to make friends, to get ahead. So in essence, God's people should take heed and be just as wise when it comes to managing everything that the Lord has entrusted to him. Think about this. If only believers would give as much attention to the things concerning eternity as we do the things of our pocketbook, things of growing business, we will, and I will say rightly so, we will go to the extreme to carve out a business plan that's going to be profitable. Why have a business if it's not going to be profitable? Right? Am I speaking to any business, business people in here? I know I am. I know some of you are small business owners, you're entrepreneurs, some of you are in other corporate settings. The bottom line, whatever work you're in, the goal is to make a dollar. It's to make a dollar more than you had before, right? That's the goal of business. So we want to be shrewd and clever in the way we come up with business opportunities that are going to build the bottom line. Jesus says, hey, if we're doing that in the business world, why should we not be doing that in the kingdom world? Why should we not be shrewdly, cleverly, astutely leveraging opportunities for kingdom purposes? So if we, as followers of Jesus Christ, would be as spiritually shrewd as this dishonest manager with his temporal pursuits, what would happen in the things that God's given to us to steward? Think about it in church standpoint. If Red Lanes Ministries, church planning and mission work around the globe would look much different if we did just that. See, the, if we took this seriously and we thought diligently and we were intentional and we were careful and we were wise in the way we look at what God has entrusted to us, the things that we're engaged in as a local church right here would be off the charts. Now, are we doing bad? I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying we're doing bad. But, man, we can do a whole lot better. We, we can invest a whole lot more. Trevor and I will be jumping on a plane in a few weeks, flying down to Puerto Rico for the third time this year. And we're going to be meeting with two of church planters down there. And we're going to be finalizing the church planter we want to work with and that church plant that we're going to serve and, and come alongside for the next X amount of years. That means there's an investment, financial investment that's going into that that goes above and beyond what we're giving to the cooperative program. That means there's going to be investment from a time standpoint for us as a church. I mean, a lot of investment's going into that. So what does that mean for us? we got to understand that we need to be shrewd in how we use the resources God has given us to that. As we think about work across the world globally. We just had a team come back from South Asia. You'll see a video in just a minute talking about that ministry. How can we as a church do more there? Because that's what we want to do. 
Acts chapter 1, verse 8 tells us to be witnesses for Christ here in our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So we don't just try to reach our Jerusalem right here around Red Lane Baptist. No, we want to reach our state, our nation, and the nations all at the same time. How do we do that? It takes financial support. I, I know you all know this. Everything gets more expensive every single day. I mean, I, I know that in my home. I know that here in the church. As the senior pastor here, I am, uh, I'm not, thankfully, I don't have to walk so deeply in the finances. We have wonderful people who do that. But I carry that burden as the senior pastor of this church. I know what's going on in the life of our church. I know our giving is on par, if not exceeding a little bit where it was last year. But you know where it needs to be? Up here. My role in the school system here, I understand full well what it, what it means, what it requires, what it takes to run a successful school ministry, or school, school ministry, uh, a school system. It takes money. It takes money to have the best teachers and to have the best educational programs. And so we as God's people need to understand that we have been entrusted and we need to invest that into his kingdom and his kingdom work. But why can we and why aren't we always doing that? That's the fourth thing I want you to see this morning. It could be because of this. I want you to see the delusion of a divided affection. Going back to this parable that Jesus lays before us and just understanding it from the very beginning, the manager served the master, right? The manager did not get his role because he was a rebel. The manager served the master. But somehow and somewhere along that journey... He no longer served the master and he began to serve himself, right? He begins to decide that I want a cut of this. I want to take more for myself. I would assume he had some sort of wage, some sort of uh, uh, um, compensation for his management, his duties that he's carrying out. His needs are taken care of. But along the way, he decided he would carve out more and more for himself, wasting the possessions of the master. And so Jesus concluded the teaching of this parable with this profound statement in verse 13, no servant can serve two masters. And so what is the man doing? What is the manager doing? He starts out serving the master. He ends up serving himself, pretending to serve the master. Jesus makes the statement, you cannot serve two masters. You will either serve the one and despise the other, or you'll serve this one and hate the other. You can't serve both of them equally or well. So as we contemplate this parable's teaching on God and money, we, we have to recognize that we cannot serve two gods. We have the choice of either serving the God of money and the God of possessions, which is idolatry, or we have the, uh, the opportunity and the choice of serving the one true living God of the Bible. So while we like to delude ourselves into thinking that we can do both, Jesus makes it very clear here. You cannot serve God and money. What does that look like? You see, when God is our master, money becomes our servant. And it is used in the will of God. When money is the master, we become its servant. And it is a terrible, terrible God. The Christian who has started serving the God of money wastes rather than invest his or her life. This person's going to live for pleasure. This person's going to live for comfort. This person's going to live for retirement. This person's even going to live for things like family. Now, are any of those things that I just mentioned bad? No. 
I hope that you have a retirement plan. I hope that you're socking money back for those latter years of your life. I hope that you have a, a plan in place in case tragedy hits your life and your family. I hope you're saving money. I hope you have money set aside so that you can recreate and get off the holiday once or twice a year. Those are good things. I hope you invest in your family. I hope you give your kids what they need, not necessarily what they want, but what they need. Good health. Good health care, good food, good place to, li to live, good clothes that are on their body. All of that with moderation. But we invest in those things because they're good and they're right, but they're not everything. You see, little Johnny doesn't need everything this world has to offer. We're actually setting our kids up for failure by giving them so much. I, I think my generation and the younger generations have been done a disservice because of that. You see, our, my, my grandfather and places, people like that, they came out of that depression era. They came out of that hardship era, the World War II era, and they worked hard and they achieved and they accomplished something. And they wanted to give to their next generation because they didn't want them to have to experience the hardships that they did. And it's just got more and more movement in that direction so that now little Johnny grows up and they feel so entitled to everything this world has to offer. Am I speaking to anybody today? I'm not telling you to take everything away from little Johnny today. My kids are extremely blessed, and they don't even know it. Maybe I need to take some of that stuff away, right? We're not talking about that. But when everything in our world is about our little kingdom and how we look and how we feel and what we want to do, and it has no regard for the things of God and the kingdom of God, something is out of balance. Here's what's out of balance. You're trying to say you live for God while serving the God of money. And if you were pushed on that, you would say, well, I can serve both. But in reality, no, you always serve one or the other, Right? So the delusion of a divided affection affects many of us. So with those four things in mind, let me give you three lessons to be learned from this parable. Here's the first lesson. Use your wealth and possessions to invest the gospel in others. Use your wealth and possessions to invest the gospel in others. Hey, I, I want to encourage you to become a tithing Christian. I, I, I make no bones about that. I, I do not back off of that at all. I, I will give ground. I understand that some people are not where they need to be, but I would say you need to get there. I just, I just believe it's baseline giving. And, and so I've talked about that before. And so I would encourage you to, to move as a Christian, to get to a 10% tithing Christian family given to the Lord through the budget of the church. Why? Because that takes care of the ministries of this church locally as well as globally. And so wherever you're at financially today, I, I want to encourage you to make the commitment to begin moving your finances in that direction. You say, Pastor, I'm a long ways away from that. I, I, don't, I can't give anything right now. I don't think that's a true statement at all. I think you don't want to give anything right now. And so is it practical that you go from zero to 10? 
Yeah, I think it is practical. I think Malachi 3.10 is pretty clear. Test me in this and see if I don't open the windows of heaven and pour out upon you a blessing until there is no need. So yes, I think, in fact, I'm willing to take the step and trust God in that. So yes, it is feasible. But for you, it may not be so feasible because you need to baby step your way there. And I guess that's okay. I want you to take the full step because I, th- I believe that's full faith for just saying, God, I trust you in this. I don't believe. I, or, or, I want to believe you. I want to follow you. I want to obey you. I think you should take that step. But if you're not willing to take that step, take a step. So if you go zero right now, 2%. If you're at two, what about five? If you're at 5% of your giving or, or your, yeah, of your uh, income giving to the Lord through the church, can you go seven? If you're at seven, can you go 10? If you're at 10, can you do 12? But just trust the Lord in that. Use your wealth and possessions to invest the gospel into others. That's the 10%. But remember, he doesn't just own the 10. He owns the 90 plus the 10. And so I want to encourage you to do a thorough assessment of how you use the thing God, things God has entrusted to you for kingdom purposes. How are you using your money? We just talked about tithing and doing those things. How are you using it? Do you give to special offerings? I mean, we're about to move into Lottie Moon Christmas offering here where we give above and beyond to global missions through the International Mission Board. Can you, should you, do you want to give to that? How do you use your home? How do you use your car? How do you use your boat? How do you use your hunting lease? How do you use... Whatever God has put in your hand to steward, how do you use that for kingdom purposes? How can you use it, leverage it to invest the gospel in someone else? Here's what many of us, most of us need to do. Take your home, open that door, and invite people into it. That was terrible. (laughs) That's because most of you don't do it. You don't. We don't do it as much as we should either. You know why? Man, the schedule's really tight. There's always something we're chasing. We're running to this and that and this and that, and we have no time in our schedules, no margin to give to investing in people's lives. Use your wealth and possessions to invest the gospel in others. Second lesson, be trustworthy in your use of wealth and possessions. It doesn't matter if you have much or little. Faithfully steward what God has given to you. You say, Pastor, I'd give, man, but I just don't have much. It doesn't matter how much you have. Do you see the verse? Look at verse 10 with me. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And the one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. Did you notice what Jesus didn't say there? If you guys who have a lot need to give more, but you guys who have just been given a little bit, you're fine. Just stick with what you're doing. That's not what Jesus says. He says the person who has little but is faithful in that, we know we can trust him with more. And the person who's dishonest with a little, we know we can't trust that sucker at all. James translation. I've heard many times people say, I just don't have a lot. I just don't have a lot. And you think that when you get more, then you'll be generous? No, you'll be more stingy. I've been around multiple, multi-millionaires in my life, and I've seen both sides of it. But you know, it didn't, they're, if they're generous, and I've, I've been around a lot of them, if they're generous, their generosity didn't start when they, won, when they earned their money. It started when they had nothing. And the ones who are not generous but also have just money falling out of their pockets, just walking down the street, it's like falling out, and you're just behind them like doing this. They're as stingy, if not more, 
in their wealth like they were when they had nothing. So it has nothing to do with the level of wealth. It has everything to do with the heart. Third lesson, refuse the temptation to serve both God and money. See, don't be like the dishonest manager who forgot that he served the master. It's a short and easy step to make, but refuse to move in that direction. It's easy for us to forget that we, for, that we serve the master. It's easy for us to think that we now, because we have stewarded it for so long, own everything. But we need to always remember God is entrusted to us, which means he can also take it back. So be faithful. Steward what God has given to you. Use his resources for his glory, the good of other people. And always remember that God, Jesus here makes the point that wealth fails. It fails, man. Now, if you would sit in here this morning and say, you know, if you gave me $700 million, I wouldn't take it. I'd call you a bald-faced liar. Every one of us would take it. Why wouldn't you? But you should never think that because you've got that much money, everything in your life is going to be great. If you read or watch documentaries on people who win the lottery, you know, the big jackpots, is there ever been a good story that comes out of that? So-and-so won $560 million. Where is that money year two? What is life like year two? What is family like year two? Never a good story out of that. Why? It's because money is not what makes people good. Money is not what fixes problems. Only the gospel can do that. Money always fails. It is a terrible God. So we don't serve money. We serve God who entrusts resources to us. We leverage it for kingdom purposes, for his glory, and for the good of others. That's what this is all about. And so we want to be a faithful steward. God is calling us to be shrewd, to use our mind, to use our intellect, to use our will in the management of what he's given to us. And so in doing so, we will be welcomed. Think about this. We will be welcomed by those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ and been discipled in the gospel. We will be welcomed into heaven, not because we had millions in the bank, but because we leveraged what little we had for those people to hear the gospel, and they will be there applauding. I am here because you invited Invested in me. I'm here because you gave through Red Lane Baptist Church and it went through the Southern Baptist Convention and it supported a missionary in a nation that we can't even uh, 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 pronounce. We didn't know anything about it, but because you faithfully gave, that person's a brother in heaven and they will welcome us in there. That's what this is all about. So we want to be faithful stewards. We want to be calculated in what we do with what we have. Remember Jesus' word, Matthew 6. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where's your heart today? Where's your heart today? Is it in your money or is it in the God who's redeemed you? You want to manage your money and possessions for God's glory and purposes. Here's what you need to do. Live on a budget with him at the top of it. Not at the bottom. That, that's an upside down, unbiblical 
ungodly budget. He's at the top. He's paid first. Be faithful to tithe through the church. Give as the Lord leads to mission and benevolence offerings. Use your home to welcome people. Use your talents to serve people. Invest your time in kingdom work. That's what you do to be a good steward of what God's entrusted to you. This is the connection between God and money. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, this morning, those of us in this room or maybe watching online, the only reason we can say we are a follower of Jesus Christ is because someone invested in us. I don't think anyone in this room could say the reason I came to know Jesus is because an angel came and shared the gospel with me or because the gospel is painted in the sky or some message fell down from the heavens. No, we are here today because someone took time, took energy, took resources and invested the gospel into us. And now we're to go do likewise. And so as we think about message from these verses that we've read and looked at this morning, we pray that you'd help us to see the connection between God and our finances. We don't buy our way into the kingdom. We don't earn our way. But because of the grace of Jesus Christ that has transformed us, we want to pay it forward. We want to invest. We want to give so that others can hear, receive, and be transformed just like us. So, Father, I pray this morning you would help us to do that. Lord, there's some in this room that are watching us online. They need to reevaluate their whole budget. They need to create line items and create margin there so that they can give to the Lord. Some are giving nothing. Father, I pray that they wouldn't hear conviction coming from me, but, Father, from your word and from your spirit, may they feel that nudge to be faithful in this area. God, I pray for those who are giving nothing, maybe they give two, or two that are giving five, or five would give seven, or seven would give ten, or ten would begin to ask the Lord, how much can I give to kingdom purposes? Father, I pray that we'd look at our calendar in the same way. I pray we'd look at our talents and skills in the same way. I pray we'd look at our home in the same way. Pray that we look at our possessions in the same way. How can I, rather than just going and spending a day on the lake, how can I use that to invest spiritually in a person's life? Rather than having a second home, how can I use that to invest spiritually into someone or some family? God, how can I use these things? Kingdom purposes. Fathers, your people, that's what we are, your people. So may our hands be open, our minds receptive, and our heart willing to change as we move into this time of response. This is your time. We are your people. May we respond accordingly, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet?